This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? <laughs> I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Platka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast. What the hell is going on? Mark, what the hell? The queen is dead. Long live the king. <laughs> With the uh, Queen Elizabeth II, longest reigning monarch, I think not just in Great Britain, but I mean in, in modern history. Second longest uh, in se- modern history. It, yes, Louis. Oh, I'm Louis. sorry. So, so for those of you who don't realize this, <laughs> Danny has been doing nothing for the last days but watching nonstop coverage of the death of Queen Elizabeth. So she is I going cried to when she, she, for, died. For, she finally found a topic that she's going to know more about than I do. Oh. <laughs> so much graciousness as we speak of one of the most gracious no. women to part our Here we scene. Go. And Here it Mark, comes. Here it and comes. Mark, of course, is the clodhopper American. There you look, go. Look, I'm I, American, I d- you're right. <laughs> I, I have paid a lot of attention. Don't forget, I used to live in I used to live in England and She was your monarch. She was my monarch as an Australian as well. She is the head of state, the titular head of state I- in Australia and she's on all the money and you used to until, in fact I made a note to myself, until I think it was the 70s you sang God Save the Queen uh, as the national anthem. Australians changed it to a terrible advance Australia fair, really bad uh, national anthem, the tune of which I do not know at all. But my grandparents, you know, they would play it always before every theatre, before the opera, and my grandparents, who were regular attendees at such things, after they got word of God Save the Queen, they refused to stand for Advance Australia Fair because they, they were so outraged at this disrespect to the monarch. She's also on the money in Canada, which are where I go a lot, very yeah. often. Every summer I've been going to Canada for, for hockey. And when I was a little kid, there, there's a Canadian uh, the loony, the, the the coin, is a picture of a, there's On one side is a bear and then the other side is Queen Elizabeth. And so a friend of our family would take me aside and say, hey, Mark, have you ever seen a queen with a bear behind? <laughs> That's what the point is. This is the kind of gravity we're bringing to this podcast. No, but seriously, we wanted to do it for a couple of different reasons. Yes. You know, this look, this the president History. of the United States is going to go to her funeral. She was queen for seven decades, but she wasn't just queen. She represented something that I think has disappeared, which is a sense of quiet duty, a sense of honor, a sense of stability. I can't think of a leader on the global stage at this point who embodies those qualities anymore. And for a lot of the people who I think are truly saddened by her loss, it's not just the loss of this 96-year-old monarch in in England. It is the loss of that that ineffable thing, that quiet leadership, that honorable pose, that renunciation of power uh, that, that she seemed to represent. And it's the end of an era. I mean, think about this. When Queen Elizabeth took the throne, Joseph Stalin was the leader of the Soviet Union. Mm, Um, Thank God he went first. Fifteen prime ministers, 14 American presidents, seven popes. I think in part, putting aside her personal characteristics, which I agree with you uh, on, is truly it's because she reigned for such a long time, it's the passing of an era. From Stalin and World War II to uh, the modern era today, 
something has passed, something has ended. Uh, and, and I think that there's a, there's a sadness over that in losing her, we've lost a certain uh, connection with, with the past and the qualities that were much more evident in the past than they are among leaders today. No, I think that's absolutely true. You know, think about this. Most people in the world today don't remember, weren't alive in a time when Queen Elizabeth was not Queen of the United Kingdom and and what once was the the British Empire. We're going to talk about this with our guest, but it is very interesting how everybody feels like they know the Queen. And one of the things I said to my kids, who were very unhappy and cried when the queen died which is quite remarkable to me actually they did themselves is a little royalist self (laughs) (laughs) there was a time in in, uh, a couple hundred years ago when we would have rooted you out (laughs) exactly exactly And, and, and now look at us but i said to them you know i think i think people will say that americans in particular but people all over the world felt that they knew the queen because of the crown because of the popularity of what for us is an hbo series but actually I think that one of the reasons that people admire the Queen is because you can make such invidious comparisons between her and her successors. And I don't want to say something mean about her and and the late Prince Philip as as parents, but damn, their kids are not as good as they were. You know, we've got Charles, who, you know, is is a lefty, somewhat petulant youth, you know, who treated uh, his wife uh, absolutely abominably in Princess Diana. And uh, and we've got Andrew who hangs around with Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, and of course, let's not forget the latest news about Prince Charles, which is that his trust took money from the Bin Laden family. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and and let me just say, the list of people they took money from, the Bin Ladens are among the nicer families that they took money from. You know, just sort of money grubbing behavior. We've got Princess Anne, who's who's very much like her mother and quiet, but also divorced. You know, it, it, we've got we've got the grandchildren, Harry, who is just loathsome, if I may use a British expression, get. <laughs> <laughs> and his very odious wife. You know, no wonder they like the Queen. Look at the rest of them. <laughs> well, now that's all we got is the rest of them. I mean, but here's the thing that's interesting is that in a way, the reason for her popularity, and we'll get into this discussion with our guest, is... She had no power. She made no decisions. I mean, we know Winston Churchill famously said that uh, you can tell a person's character by the enemies they've made, or something to that effect. That you, you know, when you when you make tough decisions, people oppose you and people get angry at you. And if you look at the great leaders in American history, the Ronald Reagans and all the rest, or the Margaret Thatchers, for that matter, in in the UK, they were very controversial, and people protested them, and there were marches in the streets and all the rest of it. I don't think there were a lot albums of albums mar- were written about them. Pretty good songs, actually, about how awful Margaret Thatcher was. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we, we, we go to many of those concerts, yes, don't we, Danny? Exactly. But she was a figurehead. And so, therefore, you can imbue her with all of your values because she never she didn't pronounce anything on any, any views on anything at all except corgis. Corgis. And horses. Horses. Yes, true. Absolutely. And not allowed to pronounce on, on matters of public opinion. She would advise the government behind the scenes, which is why I think the people people love the the, the crown so much is because it sort of takes you in, imaginarily, uh, takes you behind the scenes in those sorts of meetings and imagines what she might have said uh, to to those leaders. But if you're left-wing, though the, some, the loathsome response from some on the left has been really uh, remarkable. Uh, but if you're, if you're center-left, center-right, far-right, 
you know, whatever it is, we don't have to disagree about the queen because she's never said anything to divide us or, or make us argue about her. So I think part of the appeal is that she's been this unifying figure because she takes no positions. She has no power. She makes no decisions. It's something that we lack here in this country, in this era. I mean, I'm not saying we should have a monarchy, but we have no unifying. It seems like in our country, we have nothing that unifies us in that way. Something Baseball. that. It used to be baseball. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, it was. Though, boy, the politics is getting into sports, too, yeah, no, uh, right. you know, these days. Um, that's. I think that's why a lot of Americans actually get so angry about uh, politics invading their sports, because it really is our last refuge like that. But we have nothing that unites us that way. And I think part of the reason we have these, these increasing divisions in America is exactly that. We have no unifying well, you know, we element. Have no unifi- well, we have no unifying element anymore. Um, Not saying we, don't, we should we have don't, a monarch. No, but, no, no, but, but no. But, but, but you know, our colleague Gary Schmidt's done a lot of really good work on this because they don't teach civics anymore. It's not the principles that our founders embraced. It's not the Constitution. It's not the Bill of Rights. You know, it's not the Declaration of Independence. You know, it's it's no, no, no. Don't go to Chick Fil A because you know. There are Republicans. Well, not only that, but we got to yeah. get rid of all those things because those are because we were founded on uh, on racism and founded on right. slavery. Exactly. And all so the things that did unite us. The Mark and I have found our sweet spot again. There we're no go. longer talking about the queen. We're just ranting about the people we hate. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll say one last thing about the queen before we turn to our guest. You know, among the among the slew of articles and the gallons and gallons of ink that's been spilled in writing about the Queen. One of the things that I enjoyed the most, and we'll blink into it actually, is is a, a compendium of the Queen saying funny things and rolling her eyes. And I think she became more relaxed the, uh, as 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 the older she got. And over the last you know, 15, 20 years, she's actually become mildly for the Queen of England, hilarious. She made that absolutely charming uh, video with Paddington Bear. Yes, that was uh, right. And for, with James Bond. Her. And then for the Olympics that took place in the UK, the completely hilarious sketch she did with Daniel Craig uh, as James Bond, in which she pretended to jump out of a helicopter. And and there are a number of other uh, very nice vignettes when then Prince Charles was making a, a speech in tribute to her for her jubilee, for her platinum jubilee, uh, just this year, as a matter of fact. He said, you know, your majesty, mummy. And the most funny thing about that was not him calling her mummy, but her rolling her eyes uh, <laughs> uh, very visibly in front of everybody. So, you well, know, she was a real human being and uh, and she will be missed. And I will tell you that on a more serious note, because we just marked the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 attacks this weekend, was what she did after after those attacks when for the first time in 600 years of the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace, instead of playing God Save the Queen she ordered the playing of the national anthem and i remember i remember that like it was yesterday because i was in the pentagon on that day and in the days that followed and that was a gesture that i will never forget so in her memory thank you for doing that and for your service to the world and here's our guest so Nell Gardner is our guest. We were really lucky since Nell Gardner has been doing nothing since the Queen's passing but talking about her legacy all over the British and American press. He's the director of our sister organization, the Heritage Foundation's Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom. He's the Bernard and Barbara Lomas Fellow. And prior to joining Heritage, he actually worked for Margaret Thatcher. Unlike me, he is actually English. <laughs> so <laughs> His, He actually has a legitimate accent, unlike yours. Thank you, Mark. Here's our interview. <laughs> Niall, welcome to the podcast. Uh, my pleasure. Great to be here, Mark. Uh, 
my condolences on the passing of, uh, of Queen Elizabeth. You've been uh, all over Fox News and everywhere commenting on this and telling us about her significance. Share with us in some what she meant to the British people. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mark, for for having me on the, on the podcast. And it has been an extraordinary uh, few days for the British people, for the United Kingdom, an immensely sad time with the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, who was on the throne for 70 years. Uh, but at the same time, I think that what we are seeing in, in Great Britain, really, uh, is the uniting of, of the British people. Uh, we're also seeing that across the Commonwealth of 56 nations, 2.5 billion people, and an outpouring of, of grief, mourning from uh, across the UK, but also the Commonwealth as well. And here in the United States, also, uh, we're seeing wall-to-wall coverage of uh, the events in the UK on American TV, on all of the networks. And, and I think the, you know, the American people uh, really have, have also lost, uh, with, with Queen Elizabeth II, you know, a, great, a great figure of our time who was dearly loved not only by the British people, but also by the American people as well. So certainly a, a sad, heartbreaking time. Uh, but also a moment when, uh, when I think the free world reflects upon one of the one of the great leaders of our time, uh, and and also uh, celebrate her tremendous life of service and, and dedication. One of the things that I've really liked in in the coverage of Queen Elizabeth's reign and of her passing is descriptions of how she comported herself, descriptions of how she weighed her responsibilities and and her duties and the pushback on the notion that she was sort of a relic, a relic of yesteryear, when in fact she really reigned over a time of unbelievable tumult, a a time of unbelievable change. We've got the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, you know, uh, all the way into the third decade of the 21st century. It's quite remarkable. You know, I wish you would spend a little time and talk about, about the character that she brought to her leadership. Yes, absolutely. And as you point out, Danny, uh, the Queen ascended to the throne in 1952 when Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister. And when the British Empire, in fact, was largely still intact, apart from India, which had gained independence in 1947. But most of the empire was still in place in Africa, in, in Asia, parts of the Middle East as well. And so, you know, this was an extraordinary time, really, for, for Great Britain on the world stage the end of, a, end of an era for, uh, for, the, for the British people, the end of empire. But, uh, you know, 70 years uh, later, of course, the world is vastly, vastly different. Great Britain is now in the Brexit era, uh, I think, with a, with a renewed sense of self-confidence on, on the world stage, having uh, left the, the shackles of the European Union. Uh, and um, so the Queen has, you know, presided over 15 prime ministers, including Liz Truss, the latest, 14 U.S. presidents. She was also, I think, a crucial figure over the course of many decades in terms of strengthening the, the special relationship between our two great nations of the United States and, and Great Britain. What, what I think was especially remarkable about her seven decades as monarch was the fact that she was a woman, I think, of remarkable humility throughout that period. Selflessness. Uh, she had no ego, really. I mean, she, she just lived for the sake of a higher purpose. Uh, she was driven by a very strong and devout Christian faith, which you see reflected today in all of the services of commemoration that we're seeing at the moment. In, in that respect, actually, very similar to my old boss, Margaret Thatcher, actually, uh, who 
also shared that sense of hope for the future, optimism about about what the British people can achieve, living for uh, really for a higher purpose. But the difference between Margaret Thatcher and the Queen is that Margaret Thatcher was a world-changing leader who made decisions in office that affected the course of history. The Queen has no power. Yeah. And yet there's this outpouring of grief for her. What, how did, how, why is that? Why, why are people so moved by Mark her leadership? Such a Republican. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, I mean, it's just an interesting, it's just fascinating because she obviously exercised a moral power and she exercised yeah. a unifying, you know, it was, she was a unifying force. In fact, maybe because she didn't make decisions, everybody loved her because she didn't make, she didn't make decisions that, that angered anybody. <laughs> she was a unifying force. But why, ex- explain this institution of the monarchy for us Republicans yeah. here in the United States and why yeah. there's this deep love for her. Very good, very good questions. And it is actually striking um, when you look at Gallup polling in the United States on the Queen, and Gallup has polled the Queen's popularity over the course of several decades, I think. And and generally, she has uh, had approval ratings of well above 70%. And why is it the Queen so popular on both sides of the Atlantic, and also, of course, across much of the world as well? Uh, and uh, you can go to almost any country in the world and, and the Queen is, is actually a, you know, a very loved figure. Maybe there are a few ex- exceptions. Why is that? While never really wielding, as you pointed out, Mark, political power, uh, in contrast to, say, uh, Margaret Thatcher, for example, or Ronald Reagan. Um, and I think the reason is, is that, you know, the Queen was, so was this larger-than-life figure. She was a presence, I think, in, in the lives of, in a way, billions of people. I think that what, what people really admired in the Queen was a sense of, of dedication. You know, this idea that someone would be spending every you know, moment of their life really living for their country uh, without complaints, without, uh, you know, without Meghan Markle-style narcissism. I, I was struck by the, the outpouring of grief uh, and mourning in India, former part of the British Empire, um, and, and yet the Queen just massively popular in India. It's the, her spirit. Uh, and her, you know, her tremendous, uh, you know, sense of of dedication, selflessness, it, it just cannot fail to inspire. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, living in, you know, Delhi or, or London or Washington or, uh, you know, Singapore or Hong Kong. People like the Queen, they just inspire, don't they, really? And I think she left the monarchy in even stronger health than uh, when she inherited it as, as Queen, actually. So, you know, I, I think she, she's done so much... Um, long-term service to the monarchy in terms of strengthening it and making it even more popular. And I think it will endure probably, this is my sense, uh, uh, that the monarchy will endure for many centuries to come. It's not going to just be here for another 20, 30 years. It's going to be here for the 21st, 22nd, 23rd centuries. So, uh, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of Americans don't know, and, and perhaps one of the few accurate things in the crown, was, of course, that the queen really actually thought that you know her life was completely upended the 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 plans that she had for her life were completely changed when the th- the crown was thrust upon her father by after the abdication of David to marry the lovely Wallace Simpson and people don't i think appreciate how much of a job this is certainly you mentioned Meghan Markle it is a job and it's an incredibly boring unglamorous job sure you have lots of jewels, but you spend your days going to ribbon cuttings and tube openings and 
factory dedications. And just watching these compendiums of her life, one of the things that struck me was, oh my God, how unutterably boring so much of what she did was with a, a smile on her face, never a complaint. What did she say? Never complain, never explain? Yes. Yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely right. Uh, and, you know, one thinks of the role of, of monarch, especially a British monarch, as, as very glamorous. And, you know, the popular image of the Queen is, is you know, sweeping into, you know, the huge um, ballrooms, uh, you know, with, with a crown on her head sort of thing. You know, and the, the reality is, as you point out, Danny, behind the scenes, often behind the public eye, I mean, there is a great deal of hard work. It's actually a very, very tough job. Uh, being the queen in many in many respects, very few people could do it with a kind of grace and uh, and uh, you know big heartedness of the queen, and she did a, a, her job spectacularly uh, well. Actually, she was somebody who had that ability to, uh, out of no choice of her own, really, having been placed in the position of of the monarch, she had this extraordinary ability to embrace that role without any complaint and. Un- unquestioning in her in her style and, and approach and she's a she's a shining example i think for future generations so it was very striking that she was working in fact right up until just before she passed away i want to just press back though quickly on one of the things that you said uh, in answer to mark's question which is well i think the monarchy is not just going to be around for a couple more decades uh, i think the monarchy is going to be around for 100 or 200 years is in fact charles going to be able to take the monarchy into the future, are you really that confident? It's a great, it's a great question. Um, Charles, as prince, had a very mixed record. Uh, <laughs> and, very nice um, of you to say. He was, I would say he was not particularly well loved or popular for many decades. It's only in recent years, I think, that Charles has become more popular in the UK. But as we have seen in the past few days, I think he has stepped into the role of King Charles III in a very admirable fashion. His speeches have been, been excellent, which is also, of course, a tribute to the quality of the speech writing around him. Mark, but, Mark's but, you know, you have to be able to, Yes, yes, of course. Uh, you know, I'm actually speaking to one of the best speech writers in, in America here, yeah. uh, uh, Mark, with, with, your, with, your, with your track record, which has been outstandingly good. Um, so so you'll, you'll know this well. I mean, you know, having uh, first-rate speech writers is absolutely vital, but also at the same time, you have to have somebody who can deliver the speeches effectively in the right style and fashion. Uh, and, and I think that uh, Charles has done that very, very well uh, so far. If Charles actually continues on this path, if he follows the example set by his mother, also maintaining very strict political neutrality and keeping out of making political statements on the environment or immigration and so on, I think Charles is going to do okay. In fact, not just okay, I think you'll do very well. But there's no doubt about it that I think many in Britain are looking forward to the to his son, Prince William, becoming king eventually. It may be two to three decades from now. William is, is massively popular with the British public. And, and Kate, of course, is, is also massively popular. The only way the, the British monarchy could fall is if you have a, a far-left government in power in the UK that actually uh, decides to bring about its abolition. I don't think we're going to see that, even with the Labour Party, which which I think is atrocious in many on, on many policy issues and so on. The Labour Party is firmly committed to the monarchy, as we we've seen with Sir Keir Starmer's comments this, over the past few days. There's no discussion, serious discussion, in the Labour Party of of tearing down the monarchy. And so, 
there's no political force in the UK that is campaigning to tear down the British monarchy. The closest you have that, of course, is the Scottish National Party, which whose goal is to get Scotland out of the Union. That's not going to happen as well anytime soon. Um, and and so uh, I just don't see the monarchy crumbling at all uh, in the course of the course of the remainder of the century, certainly. So we've discussed the popularity of the monarchy and of Queen Elizabeth in England, and I think they're estimating a million people are going to come out uh, for her funeral. But talk to us about her popularity here in the United States, because there's royal families in Norway and Spain and Sweden and Denmark and the Netherlands and Belgium. I don't think that if any of those monarchs died, that cable news networks would stop all of their other coverage for weeks on end. Uh, to cover their their deaths and their funerals. It would be a five-minute news story. I mean, when she died, the Crown suspended production of its fifth season. <laughs> it's one of the most popular shows. She's been subject of films from Royal Night Out to Naked Gun, <laughs> where Reggie Jackson yeah. uh, almost, almost took her life many years ago. And especially in a country that is as Republican as you can as you can think, you know, we fought a revolution to get rid of the British monarch, and now the British monarch is like hugely popular and beloved here in the United States and an object of our fascination as uh, in her passing. Why is that? Great point, uh, Mark, and uh, it's especially striking the fact that the U.S. federal government ordered flags to be flown at half-mast and as a, as a mark of respect for the Queen. And would they do that for any, you know, for any uh, other uh, foreign leader? Uh, I think highly unlikely. Uh, and and so I don't think we see anything like it actually. And also bearing in mind the fact that the ancestors of, of Queen Elizabeth fought a war with the American people so before for their independence. And yet yet today we're seeing uh, you know, the stars and stripes being flown at, at half mast all, all over all over America. So this is all extraordinary, isn't it? And and you're right to point this out, Mark, as well, that you know, no other royal family in the world attracts anything like the attention of the British monarchy. And I think there's a reason for that. It's, the British monarchy is just bigger in scale. It's far more, uh, I think, powerful than any other monarchy uh, in the world. It also sits atop one of the world's biggest uh, economies, a nuclear power, a military power. You know, the, the monarchy, although it does not wield political power, its symbolism is very important. And also you know, the fact that it acts as a unifying force for the, for the United Kingdom, uh, where you have uh, separate nations united, basically, really through the, the inspiration of, of the monarchy. Uh, and so uh, the monarchy's role is, is incredibly important there. But I find that, you know, having lived in, in Washington now for 20, for 20 years uh, and, and I've worked at the Heritage Foundation for those two decades, I have rarely found anyone I've spoken to in the United States who doesn't have a positive, favorable view of the Queen and the monarchy. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, and, there are uh, people, though. Yeah. There, there are people, though. I mean, there, 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 are, there are. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they're out there. But well, it's actually probably a minority of Americans. Well, that's true. Yeah. But you responded to an article in the Washington Post that said we must speak the ugly truths about Queen Elizabeth. And yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up, Danny. Um, I would say that the vast majority of Americans uh, really admire and love, love the Queen, not least because, because of the character that she, she stood for uh, and, and the, you know, just the, um, the, the lovely personality and, and the dedication she had. But there is a, I would say, a, a vocal, woke, far-left element in America who don't like the British monarchy. 
Uh, and uh, you're seeing that on the pages of the New York Times, the Washington Post, over the course of the last few days, and also if you watch CNN uh, with some with some of their experts. So one thinks of Christiana Manpour, chief, I think, international correspondent, who went on air, I think, this morning, demanding that King Charles start the process of reparations for former members of the British Empire. Now, I, I would like to ask uh, Christian Manpour, if that was the case, why are the vast majority of countries uh, used to be part of the empire, part of the Commonwealth today, and actively mourning the, the death of Queen Elizabeth II? But then, uh, you know, Christiana Manpour basically, she, she makes these attacks based upon no knowledge whatsoever, actually, I think, of either Britain's imperial past or the present day uh, reality with, with the Commonwealth and, and the popularity of the monarchy across the former empire. It's not just that, Niall. She, 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 makes, <laughs> she makes those this kind of ignorant attacks on everything, believe that, me. That's for sure. But, but, but exit question, though. Very, very true, yeah. yeah but, but exit question for both of us, because I know you have to go and these sort of, uh, you know, very woke colonial criticisms, you know, are a little bit exaggerated. On the other hand, Kate and William made a trip to the Caribbean, and it didn't go perfectly well. Um, you are seeing some of the remaining Commonwealth countries, including my own beloved Australia, talk about the possibility of leaving the Commonwealth, uh, of, of ending the Queen, or in this case, the King's role as head of state, which, which he is in, in these places. But is that an entirely bad thing? I think, as you, as you point out, Danny, there's, there's a lot of debate across uh, the Commonwealth and also um, in those those nations where the Queen is still head of state, and that, in, that includes Australia, Canada, New Zealand. And there's been ongoing debate for many decades. Um, I, I would say, though, that the momentum for uh, removing the Queen as head of state um, is no more you know, significantly powerful today than it was even 20, 30 years ago. I mean, you saw during the, the days of, you know, Princess Diana, for example, a very strong anti-monarchy movement in, in Australia. Uh, Diana, and this is where the crown gets this absolutely right, I think. <laughs> it's one of the things that the, the Netflix show actually does, does accurately. It shows how, you know, the trip by Charles and Diana to Australia in, in the 1980s actually helped to, to really save the monarchy in terms of its role in Australia. It struck me that today, I would say that the, the monarchy is in is in a uh, even stronger position than it was maybe at the beginning of the 1980s in terms of its popular perception in countries like Australia, Canada, and New Zealand. But as you point out, the, the Caribbean countries, there is a growing growing campaign, of course, to separate those nations from from the monarchy. We'll have to see what happens. Prince William's trip to the Caribbean did not go as smoothly as one had had hoped. And so th there is a lot of, there's a significant amount of potential trouble ahead as well in some parts of the, the, the Commonwealth uh, and especially in, uh, in Caribbean nations where some of those countries want to remove the Queen as, uh, or some of, their, some of those, those countries, are, parts of their population want to remove the Queen as head of state. So we're going to see this ongoing battle. I also think actually going back to an earlier point that, and this is, this is striking, uh, the biggest attacks on the monarchy and Queen Elizabeth II over the last few days have come not so much from Commonwealth countries, but from the American woke left. The monarchy is, is a very big target for them. And the, the vitriol and the hatred that I've seen on the pages of the New York Times and the Washington Post, for example, 
is absolutely astounding, actually. Uh, and uh, uh, you also see the same venom, I think, directed at Brexit and, and a rising anti-British sentiment that you see in the left-wing press in America. And th- this is this is an interesting uh, interesting factor, and it's striking how many, I would say, uh, political commentators in the United Kingdom, many of whom are the children of immigrants to the UK from Africa or Asia, for example, who have hit back against the American left, saying they need to mind their own business, stop attacking the monarchy, and and you have seen a real fight back by. Uh, by by Brits on on this, uh, you can see it all over Twitter. But a lot of this fight back is coming from those whose whose parents came to Great Britain from former parts of the British Empire, who set up new lives in Britain. Their children have become you know members of the cabinet. Uh, you look at the Liz Truss cabinet today, uh, and, and the diversity of their cabinet it is absolutely striking, actually. Uh, and uh, also significant with Liz Truss's cabinet, this is the most conservative government that you have seen since the days of Margaret Thatcher. Uh, and, you know, one thinks of Suella Braverman, the, the new Home Secretary, a big supporter of the British Empire. She gave an interview in the Telegraph talking about how much her family loved the British Empire. Uh, and, and she's the new Home Secretary. And so, you know, this is, the, this is the response to the American woke left coming from the UK, where I think the British really are very, very unhappy with with you know very ignorant attacks from people who really don't know anything about British history at all. That's, that's, uh, a, that's and, a really good uh, point, Niall. Um, yeah. But let me ask you as my exit question, the difficult question, which is, you know, there's obviously Princess Diana was beloved by the British people and, and the monarchy was in great, uh, and her popularity probably was at its lowest at the time of Diana's death. You've got Prince Andrew, uh, who yeah. had, you know, this horrific relationship with Jeffrey Epstein doing God knows what. Um, yeah. maybe, we'll get, uh, maybe we'll get to the bottom of that at some point. This is not a family that, you know, has had a smooth time of it and all the rest. How has she remained so popular despite that? And how did Charles come out of it after, as, they, as the person, from the persecutor of Diana to the beloved Charles III? Yeah, yeah. As, as you point out, Mark, and I think this is well illustrated in, actually in the, the excellent uh, film that uh, came out, I think it was 2000. And five, the Queen, Helen Mirren played play, played the Queen. I think she won Best Actress for it. And that film actually perfectly captured the turmoil within the royal family following the the death of of Diana, Princess Diana, in 1997. Uh, and Diana's death actually could really have destroyed the monarchy in so many respects. It was such a an incredibly uh, powerful moment, uh, and it was the most difficult moment of the Queen's life, I think, as well. And, and the Queen uh, really had to respond, I think, to a, just a massive outpouring of grief from the British public that you hadn't seen before uh, in relation to royal matters. Uh, and, and I think the, the Queen, you know, she, was, she listened to what the British people were saying. She was somebody who was willing, actually, to also move with the times in many respects while maintaining all the traditions of the crown. But the, the Queen was also pragmatic. And I think the... You know, the, the film, The Queen, actually, which I highly recommend uh, to anyone who hasn't seen it, I, I think captured that uh, turmoil, but also the, the, the tremendous leadership of the Queen at the time. And, uh, and I think, you know, the Queen weathered the storm. I think she has been, she has been throughout her long life, a person of, of tremendous heart and warmth, actually. She, and you, you look at the way she has responded to Meghan and Harry, for example, and Meghan's relentless attacks on the, on the monarchy, 
Uh, and so the queen has always responded as a as a uh, as a grandmotherly figure, without judgment, and always embracing her grandchildren and and Prince Harry's family. Uh, and and I think that that is that speaks volumes about the queen's character. And but the queen has still led the royal family through thick and thin, and has been able to keep the family together. Uh, and she's been able to maintain as well the standing of the monarchy amidst all of this. Uh, and that's to her tremendous uh, credit. Can King Charles continue to do this? We'll have to see if he's able to uh, to to be up to that challenge. Well, we'll have to have you back on in a in a few years to judge how King Charles the Third is, uh, yes. is doing. <laughs> Absolutely, Niall, maybe thank a decade you. from now, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Niall, and, and uh, again our condolences on the passing. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Mark and Danny. It's been it's been a, a terrific interview. Really. really I uh, greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on, Niall, and, and yes, condolences from all of us. Take care. Danny, there's not much more to say. She was a remarkable person, remarkable leader. And, you know, what? what's amazing is that she made it to her, to her jubilee. It's almost perfect timing in her passing in the sense that she... she lived long enough for the British people to really show her how much they loved her. Um, before she passed and to have that that period of time to to share that and then for her to accept her last prime minister like two days before she passed an um, amazing so life it really was it was almost as if as if directed from above well as uh, as i think boris johnson said in speaking about it the world will not see her like again let's end with a little music here's the royal guardsman playing Brian May's riff from bohemian rhapsody mm. on the occasion of the queen's jubilee take care Take care, Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.